Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel over-churched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Today's scripture reading is from Jeremiah. Whoa, microphone is just inching down. Um, Chapter 9, verses 17 through 24. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider and call for the morning women to come. Send for the skilled women to come. Let them quickly raise a dirge over us, so that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids flow with water. For a sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are ruined. We are utterly shamed because we have left the land, because they have cast down our dwellings. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord, and let your ears receive the word of his mouth. Teach to your daughters a dirge, and each to her neighbor a lament. Death has come into our windows. It has entered our palaces to cut off the children from the streets and the young men from the squares. Speak, thus says the Lord. Human corpses shall fall like dung upon the open field, like sheaves behind the reaper, and no one shall gather them. Thus says the Lord. Do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, friends. My name is Erin James Brown. I forgot to put on a name tag this morning, but I'll get right on that. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm so glad to see you this morning. Church doesn't happen unless we are here participating and sharing life and word and grace with one another. So you are doing and being church. Thanks be to God. I'm going to come and steal Kayla's uh, music stand. And I'll get it back to you, girl. Will you pray with me? God, this life is brief in the history of time. And also, God, this life is long in that it seems that we have to fill our days with meaning and purpose, seeking after you. And so we offer our lives up to you this morning. Breathe into us new life that we may feel renewed and restored to offer newness and wholeness in this world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're starting, well, we've already started this sermon series on um, the truth about grief and death and what happens after life. 
And I want to acknowledge that this sermon series is kind of difficult. It brings up a lot of things within us. You might start feeling things throughout the sermon. And if you do, you are welcome to get up and move around, to move out into the auditorium, to go to the bathroom, to do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself, that our community is able and capable of holding you in your uncertainty or need to move. But that this is a time, if you're feeling vulnerable, that's okay. We are here for you because you are ours and we are yours. So grief is our topic this morning. Grief is, in itself, a love song. Grief is a prayer. And so, in Jeremiah, it is the women they call for. The women, the mothers, the sisters, and the aunties, and the daughters, and the grandmares, and the nieces. These women are actually funeral directors. They are pastoral care providers. They enter into the space, prepare to chant their songs. They sing in low, deep registers, and they give permission to the people of Israel. They give permission to grieve and to pray. So the women saunter into space, into the space with their robes and their garments swinging, swirling up the dust in the space. They don't look downcast, but they look people in the eye And as they begin to sing, they crane their necks to the side, lifting up the register of their voice to the heavens. And so their faces register the emotions of the hymns and the hums. Their foreheads and the lines around their mouth are deep with the crinkles and wrinkles of true unrestrained emotion. And they start softly the people's hearts and minds so that they can dig deep in the wells of their spirit found just a few moments later in their song. This was a profession of ancient Near Eastern culture. The women handed down from woman to woman. She learned the power of song and the permission to pour out one's energy until there is nothing left. They are facilitators of this event. They call God to listen, to tune in to the people's needs. They lead this love song. They lead the community in this communal prayer of grief. You see, God's people saw this first wave of exile. It was first actually the rich and the well-educated and the priests and some of the everyday folks. And they were carried off with Ezekiel, that prophet who kind of spoke about God in strange and weird ways whom we read from last week. And then this week, we see the ever-expanding story of slavery and enslavement of humans as Jeremiah, the prophet who put on holy lip balm of God in the first chapter of Jeremiah, And he warns the people, those remaining, that their impending capture and carted offness is imminent. The fear is real and close, and death is personified as creeping in Jeremiah's warnings. It sneaks in all the spaces that are supposed to be safe. There is no way to hide your kids or hide your wife. No one is safe from death's creeping, crawling presence. So much death, so many gone, and so few left to grieve. There are so many and so many bodies to count that they have to create a mass grave in order to honor all at once. And so they are right to grieve. They grieve those that they have already lost to slavery. They grieve those who have already died and their impending death that is to come. And so the women are led, they are led by the women who are swaying and they cry out, 
freely letting tears flow until they sleep the restless sleep of the worn out, tired from the pain of it all. Their songs of fear and doubt and worry and despair amplify and echo until they reach up to the ears of the God of the universe. Grief is kind of an all-encompassing thing. And one time I broke up with a guy and I decided to go through the five stages of grief in five days. (laughs) It didn't work. I don't recommend it. But grief is also this thing that seizes our mind and our body and our spirits. Mourning is not this one-time event, but it is a way of being. It's often concentric concentric circles of anguish that continue with us throughout time. And grief takes hold of individuals in different ways and wrestles with us based on our own weaknesses and our own needs. That's why grief looks differently for you than it does for me than for our other siblings of faith. Because grief is a sign that love is real. That the one we loved or the thing we are mourning deserved love. And that God deserves to hear our prayers. Before working at UBC, which what feels like a million years ago, but was actually only four, I was living in Texas. I worked late nights and long hours as a hospital chaplain. So late at night, I would tumble out of the scratchy bed provided for me in this tiny room. I would brush my hair back because you know I like to look good. And I would make my way to meet people on the worst day of their lives. And I'll tell you the truth, I didn't come with a prayer, although sometimes I had a prayer in my pocket just in case. I didn't arrive to the emergency room doors with an agenda or an expectation of what would happen or what I would be saying. Instead, I presented myself in the doorway. I shook hands with a stranger. I looked on at a lifeless body of their loved one. And I simply brought a cup of water where I sat and held a hand, sometimes of the living and sometimes of the dead. I didn't ask questions, but I listened and I sat silently most of the time. I prayed silently that God would receive this person's spirit and welcome them into the warmth of God's presence. And some days, sometimes people wailed at the news of a sudden or slow death. Some people threw themselves on the floor and across the body of their dearest companion. Others were stoic and silent in their pain, and some refused to touch or be touched, believing that the shell no no longer represented their beloved. And none of these responses were bad. They didn't have a judgment placed on them. It was my job as the chaplain to advocate for a space where whatever response bubbled up in the moment, no matter how loud or demure, was allowed to happen, that it was sacred and holy and honored. So I was there to say that their grief was real and powerful, no matter what it looked like or sounded like, because their grief was a form of love song. It was their form of prayer for this person. And maybe you didn't uh, get trained as a hospital chaplain. Did anybody? We got some smart people in here. Some of you might have been trained as hospital chaplains. I see it. But if you didn't, I just want to give you my top list, and then you can go and ask Adam's and Mary's parents if these are okay. Uh, 
but things, ways to help people who are in the midst of grief when you don't know how to be present. The ways that I've come up with are to acknowledge pain. Don't be scared by it, but know that it is real. To listen more than you talk, which is really hard for me, but mainly it's just sitting quiet. To not feel like you have to bounce your knee or wring your hands, but try to be as still in your presence as possible, allowing peace of the moment to rest. And then if you're feeling nervous, go get a cup of water, hold a cup of coffee, stare at it. You don't have to say anything. And then later, text or call or write, even late at night, even when they don't write back, even when they haven't responded to your last 10 messages, don't just send your thoughts and your prayers, but use your body as a prayer by thumbing out a text message, no matter what time of night it is. Ask about stories about that person or that thing. Listen, hold those stories in your heart and remember. And then remember, remember the holidays. Even the ones that don't apply to you. Maybe you don't like Father's Day. Maybe you're not a mother. Maybe Valentine's Day is the worst day of the year for you. Maybe Memorial Day is your jam. Whatever it is, remember those holidays and birthdays and anniversaries. And then the big holidays like Christmas and Easter and Good Friday. Call, text on those days too. You don't have to do it on all the holidays. Maybe just pick one. And then pull out your phone. Make notes in your calendar. Maybe six months out or a year out, reach out on those days because what you are also doing is remembering that their grief is a love song, that their grief is a prayer. And so you choose to sing with them, pray with them because to grieve is to be human because only our death can stop the pain of death. Upon losing a loved one or losing a situation or losing a relationship, I was really moved by the poet W.H. Howden who described the profound, profound prayer of grief as a great pause in history of humankind when someone experiences grief for no matter what it is, a situation or a person whom they've lost. Howden says, the stars are not wanted now. Put everyone away. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. Pour away the ocean and sweep up the wood, for nothing now can ever come to any good. This is the love song of grief. The prayer. The loss of one's beloved or one's unmet child or the loss of one's dream job, or the loss of a well-paying job instead of just piecing your life together, that loss is a pause in the history of time. It is a marker that things are forever changed, that you are forever changed, that things, that you loved this one, and this one was worthy of love, worthy of life, worthy of freedom from pain, and worthy of relief from suffering. So the clock doesn't reset with grief, but the clock strikes a tune preparing us for the dirge, the dirge of pain. Just as death creeps in the windows and corners of the streets, so too love creeps in. It sneaks its way into our hearts and overwhelms us with the anticipation of death. Love peers in and threatens to consume us because we have made ourselves vulnerable to one another. It is possibly, and it, it's the possibility of love returned. All shall fall victim to death's sting. 
of love lost. All will sing the prayer of grief rising to God's ear because grief is a love song. Grief is a prayer lifted high to God's ear, reminding God, God, you are the creator of the universe. This death thing is not the end, God, because we have regrets. And God, when you get everything you want, when you act with steadfast love, we can throw our arms around the person we love and say, I'm sorry. Because God, we have fears. But on that great day, when you swallow up death like a dessert, we will hold one another up and say, I still need you and I love you. Because when we are hurting and harmed and harm, but because we are hurting and harmed and harmed, but when the reality of righteousness comes true for God, we will sing a new love song. We will pray a new prayer of joy and relief saying, holy and holy and holy is our Lord God Almighty, is the one who hears our prayers. And until then, we let the women lead us in a love song of our grief, in the prayer of our hearts because our God inclines God's ear to hear. Will you pray with me? God, no matter how brief our life may feel, you find our life so valuable and important that you listen in. You are ready to hear the cries of our hearts, the songs of our love, and the power and pounding of our grief. And so it is with great honor, but with the great privilege that we lift our voices to you, trusting that you, God, can hold them and carry them and hold us. But it is also you, God, who empower us to be a community for one another, loving and holding and hearing and listening and singing with one another. And so it is your call on our hearts that we get God may embody that presence for others. Prepared to listen, to sit unmoved, but to pause in time, to allow the memory of loved ones and things lost to wash over us. Let us be courageous like those women, God courageous to sing and creating brave spaces to sing our love song for one another. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.